Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. I'm sorry for your suffering and mine as well. I'm Beth Murray, and this is One Torn Every Minute, the podcast where we talk about giving birth. Today I'm joined by the fabulous comedian Sarah Barron. Welcome, Sarah, to this womb with a view. Um, can we first stick a speculum straight up your birth canal mm. um, by summarising how many times you have endured labour? I have endured labour one time, and I have one child to show for it. And when did you, when did that happen? It was in April of 2016, so just over four years ago. Four years. Um, that's enough to get a bit of perspective, I yes, think. Yes, I think so. But um, it still feels, you know, not like a lifetime away. Like I can, you know, still recall the details. Sort of recall the details. Yeah, because I want those details. Um, and uh, well, this this bypasses some awkwardness because usually I ask people to choose their favourite child and then describe that birth. Oh. Um, but you don't have to. No. This is a relief. Just the one. Um, so we're going back to 2016. Mm. Um, and just to sort of recap on the pregnancy, how, how was it for you? Well, no, so I am uh, what is diagnosably called an emetophobe. Like I have a... a proper phobia of vomiting like really it, that's the worst yeah it's it's a whole like it's a little better now that I'm older but it was awful when I was a child and a teenager you know like proper phobia stuff and um so I didn't throw up but I um but I just had that sort of epic nausea like the way someone described it to me it was the best description i ever heard was it's like you've had two more drinks than you should have done and you're mm. in the back of a taxi that is swerving through stop and start traffic oh my God. and that is that is it and it was sort of like that was just the holding pattern for me it was only that level for so a you couple weren't of actually weeks. sick. No, you I just never throw up. Sick. I just felt like I couldn't escape this. And for me, because I have this like psychological trauma associated with puking, um, once I worked out that I probably wasn't going to throw up, I was just going to feel awful for the foreseeable. It got much more manageable, but I never threw up. Wow. Well, that's kind of lucky, I guess. But yeah. it, it's it's also quite weird that you that you never actually did it well this is i mean you know most people do and the thing is also is i think that most people who are vomit phobic they wind up like you only ever get sick if you're 
so sick. So you never have like, oh, I'm just not feeling great. Oh, I just threw up and I'm better now. Like that's just not a, you know, it's a buildup of hours and hours and crippling anxiety. And, you know, it's it feels like because it's a phobia. If you, if like the you worst were thing. sick, if you just vomed. Yeah. Would it help the phobia? Because you could go, oh, right, it wasn't the worst. I mean, I do like my husband has a bit of it as well. And he never throws it like he throws up once every 10 years. Whereas I do. <laughs> I get sick once every two and a half to three. Um, so the last time it happened, you know, was Christmas 20. I mean, this is the thing I memorize the dates, but um, it, it doesn't. It no, it it doesn't like getting older and just having a better control of my mind or something, you know, whatever that is, has helped. <laughs> but no, I still no. It, it, that's the short answer. It doesn't. It doesn't particularly help. I imagine if something happened where I had really bad morning sickness or I was, you know, I did throw up every morning for a month. I bet that would. It would sort it out. I bet that might sort it out, but it's too sort of traumatic to think about. That makes me think that actually, that's quite weird because it makes me think that actually I'm a vomer. I I I bet chuck up all the time, and I'm telling you, like a dog, I don't care. It's uh, it is a my brother is like that, my mother is like that, my best friend is like that, and it is a wonderful thing to have in your life. It's great, but on honestly, I don't think if you did uh, vomit for a month. I don't think it would sort out the, the, the phobia because I have a little bit of a thing about needles. And oh, yeah. You have to have your blood taken all the time oh, when you're pregnant. Terrible. And you'd think that would get you over it. But f- for some reason, it doesn't. Well, it's, there you go. It didn't make it any better. There you so. go. So you did you have morning sickness just, just for the first three months and then you were all right? Yeah. And it wasn't even, you know, it was this really concentrated few weeks, maybe from like, like I remember being six weeks pregnant, meeting a friend for a coffee and like in central London. And by the time I was back to my house being like, I feel weird. And then realizing over the course of an hour that this was morning sickness coming. Mm. And it just, it was really intense from like week six to week nine And then by week 10, it wasn't great. Like I didn't, I couldn't drink coffee. I couldn't eat a bunch of, like a bunch of things grossed me out, but I Mm. didn't feel actively as nauseated. And then I would say that by, probably wasn't 12 weeks on the dot. It was probably something like 14 or 15 weeks. I felt completely like myself again. And that is when you went into happy pregnancy Ooh. phase. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I think that was sort of it. And then I was like on cloud nine, just because it's that it's, you know, like when you're sick and then you get better, just your normal suddenly feels heaven. sent. it was sort of that. And oh, then yeah. stage it was that you're supposed to start feeling the baby move. Um, I... Then I had some anxiety triggers because, you know, it had taken so long. And I say so it wasn't some people go through five years. It wasn't five years, but it was a a year and a half to two years of very actively trying to get pregnant. So I was so and I had miscarried prior to this, you know, the pregnancy that produced my son. Mm. So I was so terrified about something going wrong. Yes. So. I rem- like I remember 
sort of making my husband take me to the hospital to make sure that the baby was okay because I hadn't felt something. And one of the midwives was like, you're fine. Everything (laughs) is fine. This is going to be a really long 22 weeks or whatever, you know, if you can't just relax a little bit. And I was like, okay, I hear you. And, and then from then I sort of came, you know, came down the other side and it was, but, but that was one of the other, whatever that phase is where, you know, you should feel the kid moving. That was a hairy week and a half for me as well. Also before it it starts that, before that, where you can feel it, you don't know what to expect the feeling to be. So you're like, well, I, I, I just sort of jumped a bit. Was that it? And it's not until it does happen properly that you realise what an unusual sensation that is, like a fish flopping in, yeah. in your stomach. Yeah. And it's, I can remember like, and you know, it, it changes so much throughout pregnancy, right? Like it, at mm. one point it's a kick and then the bigger they get, they don't have room to kick. And it's just sort of like this huge creature rolling around inside you. Mm. Um, and also what um, I've discovered talking to other people is that actually scans can be a massive source of anxiety because you're just waiting the whole time for the sonographer to say, oh, oh, um, right, there's a problem here. And you're very, very, I was very tense during that time, That's- waiting for them to say, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And there's a lot of silence because they're, they're looking. looking. Yeah. I, I, I think my experience with that was, I think what you just described is very typical. I think I'm one of these people who's like really set at ease in hospitals and GP, you know, I re so as soon as I'm there, it feels like, Oh, you're doing everything just by showing up. Like, Oh, I'm doing everything right. I'm here. So I tended to feel this wouldn't surprise me if my husband could overhear me and he'd be like, that is not what happened at all. You were an absolute (laughs) mess. And then when it was over, you were like really happy. So that I think that's what I was like. I wonder if that's the more realistic thing. But my memory of it was that just sort of even sitting in the waiting room, I just felt some level of calm because I was around midwives. Basically. (laughs) Yeah. Did you ever consider a home birth? Never. Uh, it would. N- it, it's, uh, you know, all women do what is best for them. No judgment ever. It would <laughs> never, it, it would not have crossed my mind. No, me neither. No. I, I want the I, drugs and the doctors. Yeah. And I, you know, I have a little bit of the, and I do mean a little bit of the hippie in me. I'm not proud of that. In fact, I'm actively ashamed of it because I think <laughs> like, women, you know, I, I really, really despised anything that suggests that a drug-free birth is superior. Yes. And it's never spoken about as though it's not superior. They dress it up like, well, it's just, you know, just, we want, fuck you. Everyone who, everyone I've ever spoken to, and I know a lot of women who've had natural childbirths, they somehow pride themselves on that natural childbirth. And it's the equivalent of going, oh, I'm going to get an operation that um, requires, um, you know, this, what is the anesthesia, but I'm going to opt out just because I'm really strong. It's crazy. It's crazy. I know one person who projectile vomits upon being given any form of anesthesia. So for her, she was like, I just think if I can get through it without that. And she had two relatively easy births and that happened. But um, so I want to say I hate when people talk about that in a superior way. And I've pretty much never heard 
it's spoken about not in a superior way. At the same time, this part of myself that I hate buys into it a little bit just because it's pure my mom. You know, my mom is that woman who had two childbirth, <laughs> you know, gave birth to two kids in the late 70s, early 80s. No epidural to the extent that she said to my sister-in-law and me, well, you're not you're not going to get an epidural, are you? <gasps> you're not you're not giving formula are you like that's my mom so how can you fully ever recover from that so that is in there somewhere but i hate it um but i kind of wanted to try and do it you know while at the same time thinking that a home birth was absolutely nothing i would ever insane insane for me so now we're getting to the kind of birth plan phase where you start writing your little form about how you want it to go. Did you put anything in there that you subsequently think, oh God, how naive. I don't remember ever writing a birth plan. I remember thinking it seemed ridiculous to, like I had said to my husband, you know, get me what I want when I say I want it. That's our birth plan. (laughs) That's a good plan for marriage as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we wound up going to a hospital that wasn't one of us. So we didn't, I didn't have a baby in the private healthcare system, but we had done IVF. And because I'm American, there's such an American mentality. I think this is a bad thing, but it is an American mentality regardless of like, well, which is the best one? What's the best hospital? Mm. A British person hears that. They're like, I'm sorry, what? I don't, I don't understand the question, what's the best hospital? But that's such an American way of thinking. Like, you're going to pick where you want to go. So I had said to this fertility doctor, oh, where do you think has the best, like, maternity ward? And he was like, oh, well, um, Guy's Hospital, you know, and um, St. Thomas's is fantastic. But, you know, he sort of was like, they're all good, but that one is the one I know about. And I think it's magnificent and has an incredible staff and all that sort of stuff. So I lived I live in northeast London, but I gave birth like the plan was that I was going to give birth at St. Thomas's, which is obviously central London. Hmm. So our plan um, and I feel Im- I am not in, in any way implying that my local hospitals would not have been good. If You know, if I could do it all differently, <laughs> I would do it all differently. It was I hadn't lived here as long. I didn't know the culture as well. I didn't know anything. Um, but uh, so so we did this thing, which was gave birth at this hospital that took a long time for us to get to, which was not the smartest part of our birth plan. Yeah, I was going to say, aren't you setting that. yourself up for a, a, a journey from hell when you start to go into labor. Well, the 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 problem, yes. Yeah. Not because I had a journey from hell getting to the hospital, but because I happened to be someone whose labor took 80 hours and it's in 8-0. So oh, we wound great. up so because I, you know, we were sort of preemptive and I wound up you know, in labor in a hospital, you know, for, I was there for a week and a half because it took me so long to give birth. And yeah. then I lost, you know, and then all this stuff happened, like blood loss and all that happened. So that was, whereas if I'd just been able to be a 10 minute cab ride from my house or whatever, that would have been a million times better. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're jumping forward a bit. So I want to know how long, how, how did, did you get to full term with your pregnancy? Yes. Uh. Well, almost, I mean, yes, but not quite. My son came... This is my due date. He came a week 
early. So I went into labor a week and a half before my due date. Yeah. So that's, that's not, full term, right? I mean, yeah, that, that is pretty much. Yeah. So, uh, you're nearly there. It's just a little bit of a surprise. Um, so how did labor start and where were you? I had, let me just think. Because I can like really remember being in labor, but I'm trying to think of exactly how it started. I think I'd had a little bit of the Braxton Hicks contractions. Is that what they're... I can't remember any of this anymore. Yeah, that's the ones where you think it's it. They're not real, basically. They're just practicing. Hmm. I felt something, and I remember calling the midwife, and she was like, "Oh, yeah, that could be." So-. But again, you know, at this point, it's like a week and a half. I'm not like two weeks over my due date or anything at this point. It's like a week and a half before, and I can feel something, and it doesn't feel painful, but it feels like. Oh, I wonder if that's a contraction. And I called the midwife and she said, oh, yeah, it very possibly is. It very possibly isn't. Um, You know, if you want to sort of see if you can kick it into gear a little bit, go on a walk. Which to this day, I wonder if that was like the big mistake of my life because (laughs) I went on a two hour walk and obviously I'm like nine months pregnant. I'm not speed How walking. How did you go on a two hour walk? I think I wanted to kick. I think I was like, let's do it. You know, I don't know. I was, ex- I don't know. But the point is, is that like that, that then, but when I started that walk, I was like, oh, I wonder what this is. Is this, do you think these are contractions? And by the end of that walk, I was like, oh, I think I'm in labor. I think this is it. And I remember like it, like the way I was walking on minute two of the walk and the way I was walking on minute 100 of the walk were was really different. And I remember coming up to like this big intersection in my neighborhood and being like, okay, you're in labor. And I was supposed to do something that night. I was like, you should call John and tell him, you can't go to a play tonight. This seems weird. <laughs> and I got, you know, and I called my husband and I was like, I, because I'm such a psychosomatic person, you know what I mean? Like I can invent any symptoms. So I was like, I don't know what's going on. You walked yourself into labor. But I feel like maybe I've walked myself into labor. <laughs> and I called my friend, John. I was like, I think I'm, I can't think I can go to this thing tonight because uh, maybe I'm in labor, but I don't know. So he came over and we hung out for a bit. And I remember him sitting across from me like, oh, this is what it looks like in the movies. Like you're definitely you're definitely in labor. And then by the my husband was working evenings at the time. So by the time he walked in the door, it was like half nine. And I remember saying, OK, if you were asking me to guess is this it or isn't this it? I would say, yes, this is it. And then it just, you know, there was like a steady incline and we were sort of night owls and we weren't parents at that point. So it's like our natural bedtime would easily have been one thirty in the morning or something like uh, that. Do you so, remember that time? Oh, you wow. remember those days, right? But I mean, that's part of why we've only had one kid is we're <laughs> such night owls. Like we just can't do it. But, um, so between 9.30 and let's say 1.30, it was sort of a steady, you know, uh, sort of uh, uh, like it wasn't excruciating, but it was serious, you know. Was there a point when you had your contractions when they hadn't got that bad where you thought, oh, it turns out I'm pretty hardcore. I can probably take this. 
I don't remember is the honest. <laughs> what I remember is I remember us going to bed and figuring out that lying down during a contraction was untenable. Yeah. Like you yeah. have to be sat up and sort of you have to have something to grab onto to sort of get through it. And by six in the morning, I was like, I am in. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know what this journey looks like, but I want to be at a hospital. I don't feel good. Mm. So we. So, so then at six in the morning, we went into the hospital and, you know, at this point, and I can't, you know, I can't remember all these things about like the contractions need to be this far apart, but they were like. there's a rule, isn't there? And and you're supposed to hit some marker before you were allowed to go into hospital. Yeah. And I was nowhere near that marker, but also they'd been happening very regularly now for 12 hours. You know, mm. so that's 12 hours of no sleep or, you know, 24 hour, you know, it's it's over a day now of no sleep and 12 hours of ev- maybe it was like every 10 minutes or something, something pretty significant would happen to me. So I was exhausted. And this was, you know, only the beginning. Well, and- there's, there's a point at which you think I now deserve hospital. Yeah, because it's generally the, wrong, I think. Yeah, but. because I think, you know, just when you start experiencing bad pain, the human impulse is to be like, well, what are we going to do about it? Like, what's going to ha- mm-hmm. I can't just sit here. Like, even if it was going to escalate and I was going to have a bait, whatever. But it was like, I can't just this can't go on like this. <laughs> so we went in and I was nowhere near where I was supposed to be. How dilated were you? Because I love this moment. This I, is this such is, a classic, you, see, I'm awful so, moment. Beth, you're gonna. I, I can't. It was. It was ridiculous. You know what? But are it you was supposed to be crap, was it? Yeah. It was so how, pitying how look. far are you supposed to be to start so pushing? I think when I went in and they refused me entry, I think I was only about one centimeter dilated. It was a really depressing number. Yeah, Not that I, I know what that means. Even yeah, I think it was something like that. Like oh, you're nowhere near, and that I think you really have to be upset four. me. Yeah, it's so gutting. And the way that they sort of cross their arms and shake their heads pityingly at you is so demoralising. It was so, and to me it wasn't even, it was fear. Like it was like white fear because I was so, I was in so much pain and I was so tired. And the idea that, that I could be that tired and that uncomfortable and not, there was nothing, I was so, uh, I was at the beginning of the process. That was, it was more than demore. It felt terror. I felt yes. terror. That was the word. That is true. And they, so then I remember there was something, like, it wasn't like they induced me, but she did co- some kind of sweep or something like oh, that. yes. A cervical sweep. Yes. Yeah, so maybe it was a cervical sweep that was supposed to help. I The pain then skyrocketed so phenomenally that there was some kind of discussion amongst the medical professionals about whether or not someone in that amount of pain should be allowed to leave a hospital. Oh, okay. Well, I that that's kind of positive, I think, because well, I felt- except I wasn't allowed back in hospital for another like two days after that, so it was. So they really did send you. Scary. So they do you did- think that the massive pain was the was the actual cervical sweep, or it was the what result of the cervical happening? Sweep? And again, I'm sensitive to like jumping ahead in the story. Is that I got to a you know, and again, my timeline is so blurry. 
all I know is between when I went into labor and when my son came out was three and a half days. Um, So there was some point in there where I was sort of ticking along and it was like so miserable. I was so upset. I was so exhausted. I was so afraid, but I could manage it. And something happened that was a level of pain that was so excruciating. And when I eventually told a friend this story, you know, after I'd given birth and all of that, and she was like Miss Birth Expert, like she just knows about everything. She was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. called like back to back. Like it, it's called back labor. And she's like, it's supposed to be one of the most painful things that can happen to you. So I think there was- But didn't so- they know what position the baby was in? No, I then, that- then it wasn't, I don't, it, it wasn't- I don't know what it was about. I remember this phrase back labor. And I don't know if that's yes, the same I've... thing is the way the baby's positioned or something else that's going on. Um, but I remember. So basically, my husband was like, We're, we have to find a hotel. We can't you cannot travel back to our house like you can you can't move. And I remember between when I was sent to like I'd had the cervical sweep and getting me from there, the you know, under normal circumstances, this six minute walk to some nearby hotel where my husband found a room. I must have been stopped 10 times, both by hospital employees and then people on the street being like, Mm -hmm. she has to be in hospital. Is she okay? Because it was, it was terrifying. And why wouldn't they let you stay in the hospital? Just simply because you weren't dilated enough. Yeah. Because I wasn't dilated enough. So then there was another maybe day and a half, you know, and, and the thing through all this is I wasn't sleeping. So imagine if you weren't in labor, you were just you were just going to go through three days where you weren't allowed to sleep. What mm. that would do to your body, you know, this, by the way, is why I tell people. Oh, my God, get a scheduled C-section if you can, because the way this sets you up to then care for a newborn is like it's not good, is it is not good. Um, So so then I was back at this hotel. They must have been delighted to see you. Oh, my God. I mean, my husband says that one of the funniest things he's ever seen was I was incoherent with pain he didn't find that funny but he was moving me (laughs) through this hotel lobby to get me back to the hospital and it was like classics my son was born on a saturday night so it must have been like friday night when we went back to the hospital and it was like revelers hugely drunken people there was some (laughs) kind of um festival so people were in these like outlandish costumes and amidst all of this like i was screaming at people to get off the lift and let me ride the lift you know i I was out of my (laughs) and the american accent in these moments never helps (laughs) hi there i'm yasmin akram join myself and my friend philippa dunn each week for our podcast we heart worry a show about cars and their engines. Obviously not. It's a show where we talk about our fears, our worries and our anxieties in a bid to help you with yours. And we just have a laugh as well. So join us. There's nothing to be scared of. I promise. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And I remember in one of those, like, classes that you take learning that there's something you can, there's like a drug, a painkiller you can take, but it gets into the baby's blood system. Whereas an epidural doesn't. And I was like, okay, well then I don't want to do that thing. Like that'll be my concession to my hippie upbringing is I won't get the (laughs) thing that gets into the kid's bloodstream, but I'll get an epidural. Of course I will, if I need it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember at this point, because I wasn't dilated enough for the epidural, I showed up and I was like, give me, give me, like I sat down on the floor and protested. I was like, give me the drug. Give me, get, put it in the kid's blood system. Any drug, anything, anything. I am dying. I am dying. And they gave it to me. And then from that point on, you know, for that next 24, 36 hour period, it was a little more civilized. And I was like, fuck this. I just did 20. I did 48 hours of natural childbirth. It has nearly killed me. Drug her up. And they did. That must. I'm thinking that must have been pethidin. Because um, yeah, in, yeah, that sounds right. Pethidin in the last right. series, somebody pointed out to me that that's heroin, which I had no idea about, um, oh, and I was delighted because I was like, "Cool, I had heroin." But of course, it doesn't. It's not the fun drug, heroin, because you have to take heroin from a normal position for it to be fun. Whereas oh, when you're in your position and you have it, it just brings you up a little bit. Well, interestingly, I will tell you that. Um, 11 years ago, I was in a catastrophic bicycle accident that landed me in hospital, like a shattered ankle, like hanging off my body, kind of shattered ankle situation. And, you know, had a year of, I think I had six surgeries in one year. Like it was this really dramatic thing I went through and um, had a whole lot of heroin derivative drugs over the course (laughs) of that year. And I'm someone who like I never have because of my um, vomit phobia, which we were discussing. I've Mm. never been a big drinker. I never do like I never do anything like I've smoked pot a few times and that is it. Mm. And um, holy shit, these opioids were the business. They were amazing. It was, I was like, if I'm ever going to get into it, it was like all pain just taken away. You feel great. Like you've been wrapped in a warm blanket. You know, when sometimes you just have a good day and you're like, I just feel good today. So that's why people think drugs are good. And it was, oh, I mean... Let's not make light. Right. I don't mean to make light of this thing that has ruined people. But for me, as someone who has never tried anything, I was like, oh, that's that's the one. That'll be the one. So they'd have they'd have given you pethidin, which I guess is the one that goes into the baby's bloodstream. But like plenty of babies have had it. So, yeah. And I've I've not seen 
any I mean, I don't know what the ramifications would be, but I've I think my son is fine. Yeah. I think um, it's did fine. you have gas and air? Oh yeah, but I mean gas and air can suck my dick. Like that is nothing, <laughs> right? Like I know. Well, so I had gas and air the first time and I just didn't get it. I just was sort of gasping at it and yeah, it was getting uh, nowhere and and then I had this amazing midwife second time around who said, No, 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 you've got to do it properly. This is how you do it. Oh and she showed me how to inhale it properly. And it's great. It it really is very effective. Wow. But you have to be told how to do it. And lots of midwives are, I don't know, they're too busy, so they don't. Interesting. So I'm oh, a big advocate for gas and air now. Okay. Because I got into a birth pool. She showed me how to do the gas and air. And I was like, oh, birth is a breeze. I can do this. And it turns out that's not true. But it is useful. And I suspect lots of people don't get told. I bet a lot of people just aren't. I mean, I also, you know, it, maybe someone gave me that advice, but I was so far gone that I was like, shut up. I know how to breathe. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like, who even no, knows? No, you have to do it in a very specific way. And then, sure. it, then it hits you. So you had the, the gas and air was bollocks. You had had some pethidine. And then we're still coasting towards Saturday night, presumably. And yeah, it's so not then coasting. At some point I was... At some point I was, you know, qualified for an epidural. Yeah, there's a kind um, of weird window, isn't there? There's a point to yeah, which you, you really, can have one. And I then mean, there's a point to which you can't. They say you're too far gone. So you have to hit oh, the window. And, you know, a good friend of mine is um, a comedian, Jess Fosticue, and she did, you know, one of the sort of set pieces of her most recent nominated Edinburgh show <laughs> was about missing that window. <gasps> And it it's one Gutted. of the, you know, obviously it's a comedy show, so she makes it comedy. But I've heard that story personally when it wasn't comedy. And it was one of the most disturbing things I've ever heard in my life. And I, I, I had heard another version. So that's a story that I heard after having been through childbirth. Um, but I had heard a version of what I think must have been the same thing before, like years ago. And it stuck in my head. And the woman was basically going... If you wind up being someone who needs an epidural and you miss the window to get one, it's, I mean, I th- I th- it sounds to me like it's one of the more traumatic things that can happen to someone in a birthing experience. Um, and, and I think I had that knocking around somewhere, you know, and also at this point I was like, oh, right. The story is already at least partially written. Like I'm not having a great birth. That's not, you know, <laughs> that that's, ship is sailed. Yeah. That ship is sailed. And I, and, and that's what it is, as they say, but, um, but I'm not going to wind up in that position. And, um, so then I started getting epidurals and then, you know, he just kept, not moving like he just wouldn't move and I don't think this is real what I'm about to say but in my head maybe not even then but in retrospect I've been like I shouldn't have done that damn walk like you shouldn't go on a two-hour damn walk when you're nine months pregnant this kid was not ready to come out of me and I forced it and it's just not going very well if I had just not done a walk I wouldn't have gone into labor for another week and maybe it would all would have been much smoother so I got an epidural you know so then at that point like the 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 exhaustion is still there but it but the pain is gone and then there was some point when they were like all right we're gonna we're gonna give this one more go 
to really because like at some point they told me to push and nothing happened. So you are at the pushing phase now. It's there was just, some just not point really where I was like, and I remember it was dark. Like so, my son was born at eleven thirty three at night. So there was some point where I had an awareness of it being evening. So it and it was April. So it must have been a couple hours before that, right? Because it's not going to be dark until. 8.30 or 9 in April. Yeah. And, and and I remember having like beautiful doctors. Like I had these two female doctors who were so pretty. That I was like, is this really what I need right now? It's like I, <laughs> you know, shit myself pushing, but there's no baby coming. And I just remember thinking like, I don't think this kid is ever coming. This, you know, I'd been at it now for three days. That's not really a thing I didn't even know that was a thing that could happen. I I had always heard about 48 hours. I didn't know you could make it nearly twice that long. Mm. So I was pushing and nothing felt like anything. And um, have the, you had had you had the epidural? Yeah, I'd had the epidural by that then. That can slow things down and, and yeah. also make you feel like you're not. Nothing's that, going on. That you're not pushing because you so, don't you are but you don't know that you are so i think what must have happened after that phase of pushing is they were like all right let's really bring the epidural back now yeah they so do scale it then back. the pain started started let started um increasing but i can, it was like it was so i'm using these terms really loosely but it was like suddenly like a good pain rather than a yes. bad like it felt like this feels right whatever that shit was, was happening somewhere. before in my back like that felt like someone was was actually trying to skin me alive this feels like some version of what i thought pushing a baby out in contractions it was like the much louder sound of what had started when I was first contracting in my house. So then they were like, all right, we're going to, we're going to do one more go of getting this baby out vaginally. And then we might have to do a C-section here because it's been, I can't remember what it was, but it was like, there was some reason why if this next thing didn't work, they were going to give me a C-section. Yeah. So they wheeled me into an operating theater. My husband came with me. So you're still officially trying to do it vaginally, but they're just still trying. But they're they're letting me know that this is the last go. And I, I remember a pep talk, you know, and like just reiterating for the story here. Haven't slept in three days. Um, <laughs> they're like, um, all right, this is it. So you got to you got to give it your best shot here. Just like, what do you think I'm not like? So, so at this point, I could really feel they, they I remember they continue. This is I remember they kept telling me a contraction was coming. And I remember saying, I know I, I so so, you know, where I'm at, I can feel it. And they were like, that's good. That's good. So they'd be like, OK, here comes another push, push, push. And so there was some bit of pushing. And then they were like, we're, I don't remember. They must have told me they were going to do an episiotomy so they could get forceps up me. Yeah. And that's what they did. And then it was all sort I mean, from what I remember, it was all sort of like in the movie, you know, it was like, posh, posh, and it, and he came out of me. They pulled him out with forceps and it, so it felt, was forceps. It was a forcep vaginal delivery. Um, with the episiotomy, do you remember feeling that? No. I, oh, that's did, good. Did you have one? Oh, yeah. And uh, that was the thing that I dreaded. And it uh -huh. bloody hurt. 
Um, oh, interesting. So you it didn't hurt when maybe, they gave it to you. Yeah, I remember it. It stung. But like, that Whoa. sounds like a stung sounds like, oh, I've been stung by a nettle. It was like the biggest sting. Um, but then, of course, shit. everything else is, is going on. So you can't really, you know, it, it purses and then you're on to the next bit. Um, but I think maybe you were so exhausted and and uh, yeah, I mean, who, you know, that- who knows? Or I'd had so many more painkillers than you had. You know, who knows what? Well, what I don't think what. my epidural work. My first epidural worked particularly well because I. Oh, okay. Whereas I've I've all because I've had some because of that bike accident I mentioned. I've had so much experience with, um, and because I've done IVF, I've had so much experience with anesthesia and medication you know all yeah, of you that know stuff. what to expect and i'm very responsive to it like i <laughs> i do very well it works very effectively on me um and we didn't know what we were having like that we, we wanted the surprise and i had and i say this now being extremely content with having a son but i think like in my little heart of hearts we all say we just want a healthy baby i think i wanted a daughter yeah and i remember them saying it's a boy and my first thought was fucking figures like this has been <laughs> such a disaster of course i have a boy and i just was <laughs> and I think this is so true for so many men, women. I was so, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to choose my word between the word spent, describing myself as so spent, mm. the word exhausted and the word traumatized. I don't know which word is right, but I was some combination of those three things. And I, like I had, and again, I say this with shame and embarrassment. I had wanted to push a baby out of my vagina. Like <laughs> that meant something it's ingrained. to me. Yeah, it's fucking ingrained. And it meant something to me. To feel him come out of my body. And I felt it. (laughs) And I, uh, but I was still so gone that I remember being handed him. And I, and I was like, this is it. This is this thing. You look into your child's face for the first time. It's, it's that it's maybe the biggest moment of your entire life. If, if this, if motherhood is something that you wanted, I've been building this moment up for myself for like as everything that I've ever wanted for years. And I was so frankly underwhelmed. Like I'm a big crier, right? So when we went in for the 12 week scan and we saw him, you know, we didn't know it was a him, but when we saw that first, what do you call it? When you see the baby blob the blob i mean i was inconsolable like the guy was like this was and the guy whatever the guy is who does the sonographer he was like i'm i'm so sorry if you could speak to your wife i need in order to be able to do the exam properly and it was just it took triple the time because i couldn't stop sobbing um and that's my deal I'm emotionally connected. I am (laughs) processing. And I just, and I remember saying over and over again, I don't understand because I felt so bad that I couldn't deliver emotionally in this moment. And I remember like feeling sort of embarrassed in front of my husband. And subsequently he's been like, oh, I still remember it was so moving when you just kept, you were so overwhelmed that you kept saying, 
I don't understand. And I was like, I don't think I was overwhelmed. I think, I mean, of course <laughs> I was, but I was so dead and broken and scared and tired. And, um, whatever that moment was supposed to be, it wasn't for me. And I had something much closer to it. When, you know, after all this shit and whatever, one of my other big wins, other than an easy pregnancy, was like my son was that baby who sort of like inched up toward my boob and latched on mm. and never left. Like I had no struggles <laughs> with nursing, which so many women do. Yeah. It just couldn't have come more easily for he and I. And I just held him and nursed him for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And it felt like this really sort of natural, positive thing for us. And I remember, you know, all of this stuff is such a haze, but I rem I do remember someone on that ward coming over and saying like, you really wanted to breastfeed, didn't you? And I was like, oh, uh-huh. You know, so whatever I was conveying and he he was so distraught like my he looked so bad he was because he had those um tricep scars like over his little oh, face yeah and they just so look his, like little aliens really yeah and i don't mean like oh newborns look like funny old men i mean he had um he must have had 10 cuts on his scalp Aww. he he was really brew banged up from it so you know and i like had lost some insane amount of blood. So I, you know, we looked crazy, um, <laughs> but we were okay. Did you need any uh, blood transfusions or operations no, or anything afterwards? Well, what the, the big thing was my episiotomy <laughs> got infected. Ooh. So I was finding sitting incredibly painful in a way that was like a little next level to just, oh, right, I've been through, you know, that's the thing if you don't have a C-section is you're supposed to be able to move sort of easily and all this sort of stuff. And this um, health visitor who to this day, I hate this lady, came to my house. She was, again, beautiful, maybe 25, <laughs> very nicely dressed. She looked at my vagina. Okay, that's her damn job is looking at vaginas of women who have just given birth. And she went, oh, my God. And I was like, you cunt. I mean, that is what I thought. Like, <laughs> you don't say that to somebody upon looking at their vagina. You know, so I immediately got hysterical. And she's like, oh, well, um, I just, you know. And it was like, get better at what you do, bitch. Like, oh, I mean, I didn't say any of this. I was what just had she sobbing. Seen? What had she'd she seen, seen? An, an infected vagina, right? And she'd like, never seen um, one before. I guess. I don't know. I hate her. Um, and so there was there was all this stuff where for so then I had to go back into hospital like a week, a few days later. So I was in. So I was back, checked into hospital with my baby next, you know, next to me. It was so traumatic, um, you know, for days while they tried to figure out what was going on with my vagina and what was so wrong with it. And. I don't remember how or why they eventually released me, but they did. And it was it was around the 10 week mark, you know, which is a long time, by the way. That's two and a half months later. It is a long time. But I remember maybe it wasn't 
Maybe it was Haven't eight they told weeks? you what was wrong with it, your vagina? It was this infection. And it was like, you have, it was the infection broke my episiotomy down. That was, it. your episiotomy um, has broken down. That, that was the language. Did that you up again then? Well, this is, this is what happened is that they decided that, yes, they were going to have to. So I had to do like, so I remember it as 10 weeks. That now seems really long to me. I think it was eight weeks, but it, you know, it was a while. It yeah. wasn't four weeks. The reason I know that is because I was just breastfeeding and my son was one of these kids who you couldn't put him down. So he couldn't use a pram. He had to be held. Yeah. Um, it was really hard. I was just, and I remember like people in my NCT group would be like, oh, well, so when we, so when we do the midnight feed and the 3 a.m. feed, and I was like, what? The midnight <laughs> feed and the 3 a.m.? Are you fucking kidding me? I got this kid on my boob. Oh, we, we get in bed at 10 o'clock at night and I sort of never, ever sleep and we're out of bed at 10 in the morning. Like, yeah. there's no feed. It's, it's just, chaos and constant and constant and basically because I had to have this surgery I was going to be out of commission so we were like well we're going to be introducing formula Mm. and I'm not sure I would have done it because of my fucking mom in the back of my head (laughs) with her craziness and I my memory was that my son had nothing but breast milk for 10 weeks so I think that's when this surgery was scheduled in for yeah um, we, it wound up, they examined me on the morning and they were like, they're fine. You don't need it. And I was like, what can, can that happen? I'm like ready to have a surgery and you're telling me I'm not having it. So they never repaired it in that way. I guess it repaired itself. And, but the reason that was a blessing in disguise was we had no choice ex- except to get on the formula. Yeah. Which is and a big relief in many ways. My life, it changed my mental health. It changed my anxiety. Like I became such a happier woman because I let my kid have a third, um, a third formula to two thirds breast milk. Yeah. It, it, it changed my life. And I would just, it was, it's been like maybe the biggest takeaway for me of anything to do with any moment of motherhood across every moment of motherhood is if you feel unwell in yourself, have some formula. And if for whatever reason that makes you feel like you're not being the pure hippie, whatever that you want to be, then say, okay, it'll be a third or whatever. Yeah. And my son had so much formula and I hesitated to say this. He never gets sick. He's that kid. I've never had to go pick him up at nursery because he's, he doesn't get a sniffle. It's bizarre. So mm-hmm. the thing about their immune systems and all that, I'm one piece of anecdotal evidence that that's not real. Yeah. Yeah. And also you just have to do what gets you through. You have to do what gets you through. And I still breastfed to him till he was like two years old. He was always on my boob. (laughs) I just didn't have to be on antidepressants also Mm. because I couldn't function because I had a baby that I could not put down ever. Because his dad could take him for a few hours and take a packet of formula out with him. You know, life changing. I'm a big fan of formula. Big fan. God bless it. Yeah. So with all that in mind, <laughs> if you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice right at the beginning of this process, <laughs> would that be it? Would it be getting on the formula or is there something more, you know, profound? You know, I think as well, like a thing that I heard someone say that really resonated for me was that like motherhood is like you, the process of becoming a mother. <laughs> so childbirth plus is you drive across a bridge 
And as you arrive at the other side, you look behind you and the bridge has burned. (laughs) And you understand that you can never go back. There's no going back. And I think that that... If you liked what was on the other side of that bridge, (laughs) that's really, really traumatic. And I say that as someone who wanted to be a mom more than anything. It was the most important thing to me. And I think that thing about the bridge is absolutely true. But I think you just can't predict how you're going to feel about what got burnt. You might be actually pleased or you might be devastated. You just don't know. You just got to go over the bridge. Yeah. Your standards of what's exciting in life get so oh low, God. but that means Forget that practically it. all the time there's really exciting stuff like going to Boots or... That is a very positive way of looking at yeah, it. Yeah, or going to the dentist. I've got a really nice dentist and I get to lie down. Oh, see, this is it. And I remember things. thinking that. I remember thinking that as well, is that people were like, when I thought I was going to have to have this episiotomy reparation thing. And everyone was like, oh my God, how traumatic. Oh, I'm so sorry you have to go through that. I was like, are you fucking shitting me? I'm going to get a general anesthetic. I'm going to go under. I'm going to be checked out. I was like, truly, and not trying to be funny, looking at it as a holiday. You know? And that is what motherhood does for you. And that's what it does to you. It's very inspiring. Mm. Um, well, what I'm going to do with all these pieces of advice is I'm going to um, get them really beautifully engraved onto lovely pieces of crockery. And then I'm going to give them oh, to my nice. kids and I'm going to oh. let them destroy them and lose them because everything I give to my kids is destroyed or of lost. Course. Why um, would they ever appreciate because it? Because I don't really want any advice for anyone on this show. I just want it to be nice, interesting stories. And you have given us a really, really good story. Oh, well, thank you for saying so. <laughs> Thanks for listening to One Torn Every Minute. Hope we didn't gross you out too much. See you next time. Hello, I'm Jack Beaumont. I do Crime Club. In Series 1, I spoke to people like this. Did you not kick a policeman in the head? Yeah, that was... When was that? I was 17. Wait, was I 17 or 19? I think I might have been 19, actually. In Series 2, I talked to people like this. There was a paedophile with one leg. I kicked him clean out of his wheelchair. About four of us... I mean, we battered him. And this. Cheated on your boyfriend to give him gonorrhea? Do you want to go there? Would you rather not? Yeah, no, 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 I could talk about it. I have jingles like this. That's Crime Club, where strange people tell stories involving bad behaviour. New episodes out every Monday. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 